Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Hey everyone, welcome to Thought Crime and Keto and Crime. Today we are looking at the Health South accounting scandal. For those of you that do not know, Health South was once a huge chain of outpatient uh, clinics, outpatient surgery centers, and even a few regular acute care hospitals devoted to orthopedic surgery, huge around the country. I, I had a, uh, a sonogram there that led me uh, to know that I needed my uh, gallbladder out. So I, I remember Health South very, very well. It was based in Birmingham, Alabama. It is now called Encompass Health. It's still around, though much smaller than it was during the height of its power. And what brought it down was a $4.6 billion accounting scandal along the same lines as WorldCom and Enron, Tyco, all those, all those big scandals, and we're going to get into it today. Today's going to be a great show, and then my follow-up to this on Sunday will be an interview with former Health South CFO, Mr. Aaron Beam, who was the first CFO that was there during the the scandal. He actually had a guilty conscience and left and eventually turned state's evidence against Health South and uh, served his time, gave back all the money he earned as a result of the crime. And is a, uh, a really nice guy. I like him a lot. Uh, he has a lot of great things to say. He knows a lot. He travels around the country lecturing on business ethics and actually tells people in business school an accounting school not to let the pressure of making your Wall Street numbers and the pressure of an overzealous CEO lead you to do things that you wouldn't normally ethically do. So he has a really great message. And uh, so he was really nice enough to speak uh, for about 30 minutes with a uh, an unknown podcaster. So uh, thank you so much, Aaron. And that will be the second half of this. So please tune in for that. So let's get into it. Health South. To really understand Health South, you have to understand its founder, at least its main founder. Mr. Beam was also one of its founders, but to really understand the reasoning behind why the scandal took place, you have to go all the way back to August in 1952 in Selma, Alabama, to the birth of Richard Marin Scrooge, to a middle-caste family in Selma, Alabama, a very poor community in southern Alabama. His father, Gerald, was a cash register repairman, and his mother, Gracie, was an RN and also a respiratory therapist. Um, Scrooge taught himself to play several musical instruments while growing up, so he always had an interest in music that will play in some of the things he would do a little bit later on. He uh, did okay in high school, attended Parish High School in Selma, Alabama. Uh, but dropped out at the age of 17 because he got his high school girlfriend pregnant. And so by the time he was 20, he was living in a trailer park in Selma, trying to make ends meet, driving a cement truck to support his new family. His mother convinced him to go back to school. She said, you really need to get out of this rut. You don't need to get into being trapped into this job. There's so much you can do. So he quit his job 
with the cement factory. He got his GED, and he enrolled in the respiratory therapy program at Wallace State Community College in Dothan, Alabama. While at Dothan, he did earn his degree in respiratory therapy as well as his certificate. He did go on to UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham, a very well-known medically-based university, and uh, completed an advanced degree in respiratory therapy. After achieving his advanced degree at University of Alabama at Birmingham, Richard became a college-level instructor at UAB, and then later on at, back at Wallace State. It was during this time he divorced his first wife and um, kind of took on more of a bachelor lifestyle while wanting more. He knew that he wanted more than just being a respiratory therapist and teaching respiratory therapists. He knew big business was the way to go. So while at, UAB, while at UAB and at Wallace teaching, he started perusing, looking for how he could move his degrees and move his experience into more of a management program. So he started looking for different jobs and actually kind of sold himself to a hospital group out of Texas. Lifemark was a huge hospital corporation. It ran mostly regular, what we know as regular acute care hospitals, but they wanted to expand into the growing day, day treatment um, phenomenon. You know, now you can go in and have surgery in a day and then come out and not have to stay in the hospital at all. So they, that was really on the move during this time. So Richard wanted to get in on that. So did LifeMart. So they kind of pinned Richard to help grow that part of their business. So he started looking into physical rehab centers, respiratory rehab centers, and basically just building that part of the business. First as director of acquisitions, where he helped buy up other small hospital chains and clinic chains, and eventually owned up at the age of 26 years old, one of the youngest C-level executives ever. He was named the ch company's chief operating officer or COO. However, while he was in the middle of buying up a huge rehab chain, it was announced to him that they were being bought by yet another hospital company called American Medical International. And there was going to be no room for uh, Richard because uh, when you have a merger of two large corporations, you have two CEOs, two COOs, two CFOs, and usually the person doing the buying, this case, American Medical International, usually keeps their C-level executives to the uh, detriment of everyone else. So he felt there was no room for him. While still at Lifemark, however, he hired a young accountant in uh, 1980 named Aaron Beam. And he and Aaron worked together quite closely. And when they realized that they were about to be sold, the two decided to venture out on them out on their own and do their own thing. Because lots of times during these hospital mergers, you will have venture capitalists come at the executives of the company that's being bought because everyone knows that those are the executives kind of on their way out. And they will approach them about perhaps an opportunity to build a new company from the, from the ground up. And this is what happened with Richard and Aaron. They were approached by venture capitalists who pitched them the idea of starting their own company based on the rehab center and day surgery type center. So day surgery would be a little further out, but they kind of pop, you know, 
wanted a company centered on non-acute care hospitals, so not overnight stay hospitals, things where you could go in, get your testing, get your physical rehab, get everything you need in a day situation, and then go home at night. And the two jumped on it. After a little bit of convincing, the two jumped on it, and Citicorp Venture Capital offered them $1 million to help start their venture, in addition to the about $70,000 the two already had. And they started AmCare. They opened up their very first physical rehab center in Little Rock, Arkansas, in 1980. The facility in Little Rock was for physical rehab, but it looked more like a gymnasium or a health spa than a hospital or any kind of acute care clinic. It was um, had lots of exercise equipment, lots of nice places to sit, so they were really on the cutting edge of what they thought the next generation of medical care was going to be. So from that one little clinic, they started to expand, founding other clinics in Birmingham and all around the South, eventually expanding into all 50 states, and they eventually changed their name to Health South, late 1980, from AmCare to Health South in late 1984. And by 1986, they had become a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, which is highly unusual for a new startup company like that. In fact, from my research, it looked as though they were using Aaron Beam, who was the CFO at that time, was using very conservative accounting. You know, basically, revenue was revenue, expenses were expenses, liabilities were liabilities, assets were assets. Very clean, very conservative, very safe. How you want to be when you're a startup. However, it was, of course, showing that they weren't going to turn a profit for another couple of years. They were just kind of breaking even, maybe losing a tad bit, but not really, you know, wowing. So they weren't very attractive to Wall Street in 1984, 1985. However, in 1986, Richard Scrooge, who had always been the chief of his tribe, got, his, got some advice from a Wall Street investment banker who wanted to help take the company live that they could increase their profitability, make themselves look profitable much sooner than they would normally be by doing some clever accounting. Now, because they were a medical company, medical companies deal a great deal with insurance. They deal with public insurance like Medicare and Medicaid. They also deal with private insurances. Think um, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Think uh, Kaiser Permanente. Think think and that's think Cigna, Aetna. That's who they were dealing with. Now. When you take on a contract with any type of insurance, you are paid based on the contract that you negotiate up front with that payer. So basically, what a doctor or a clinic bills for a surgery, let's say you break your leg and you go to a Health South facility and you have rehab, let's say you they bill your insurance $10,000 for that therapy. The insurance is probably not going to pay that $10,000. They're probably going to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of six to $7,000, and they're going to write off the other three to $4,000 based on your contract. So a certain chunk of all revenues, all billable money that a medical facility bills out is written off per their contract with the insurance company. They, 
insurance company won't pay it and they can't bill the patient with it because insurance company has a contract with the patient saying they'll cover a certain amount. And then they turn around and have another contract with the medical provider saying we're going to pay X amount for this money and that's all. You can't bill us, you can't bill our patients. So a certain amount of Health South and all medical revenue is written off. So in 1986, to make them look a little more attractive, what they decided to do was instead of saying they wrote off 15% of their revenue to insurance write-offs, they made that 13% or 12% or 10%. Not exactly fraud, but definitely creative accounting. Now, the major, the major fraud we're about to talk about started in 1996 when Health South was a huge company. The fraud though is said to have started, a certain amount of fraud is said to have started almost from the beginning. In 1986, a Health South facility in Bakersfield, California was accused of defrauding or overbilling Medicare for supplies used. In 1991, they had a similar bump with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama who did an audit saying they were being overbilled. So there was always a little bit of persnickiness there. But you know what? Because of the myriad of different pricing levels that exist within medical, within the medical genre, the industry really is rife for scandals because sometimes profits for doctors and hospitals and clinics are razor thin. So they might bill an extra bandage or two to make a little bit more money. Uh, not exactly fraud, but if you do it on a large scale, you can get caught, which is what happened here. The insurance companies decided to do their own audit, and that that was kind of settled out of court. There was no charges ever brought. All right, so let's fast forward uh, a few years. You have Richard Scrucci and his team setting up a brand new corporate headquarters in Birmingham, Alabama, a huge campus. Uh, by the, at the height of the 90s, they employed over 50,000 people. And Richard Scrucci had put himself up as the apparent king of Health South. In fact, early in the development of Health South, when they only had like 15 people working at their corporate headquarters, Richard Scrucci actually drew a stick figure drawing of people with a wagon, some pulling a wagon, some pushing a wagon, some in a wagon, saying, Basically, are you pulling the wagon? So basically, there was a understanding at Health South that you were expected to do whatever you could do to make the company grow and make the company better. And that was kind of the understanding. Every year, they gave the, you know, the award to the best wagon puller. They got a little red wagon and 100 shares of stock. Uh, to show that they were doing their part to move the company forward. And that was the kind of atmosphere that was fostered at Health South. By 1997, they had over a hundred, they saw over 120,000 patients daily, made over $106 million in revenue in 1997. Richard Scrucci became the third highest paid CEO in the country. They were riding high, 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 high. So most people would say that little trick of under-reporting what they wrote off for insurance reasons did them well because they were able to take those new numbers to Wall Street in the mid-80s, 
Richard Scrooge gave a rousing speech where actually Wall Street bankers got up and applauded him, which I don't know if that's a good sign or not, but let's just say they went public much older than they should have and became a Wall Street powerhouse. Everybody was saying growth, 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 growth. And from 1986, taking out their scuffles with the Medicare and with the Blue Cross Blue Shield, they went on a buying frenzy and started buying up other rehab and outpatient clinic uh, companies and grew to where they were one of the biggest in the world. And with over 2,000 facilities across the world, they began to attract hugely popular orthopedic surgeons and other medical professionals. They attracted the likes of Shaquille O'Neal, Jack Nicholas, Michael Jordan to do their sports medicine procedures with them. Sports medicine became huge for HealthSouth. And let's just say they painted themselves into both a corner and also put themselves out there as one of the greatest healthcare companies ever. Each year, Wall Street gave them street predictions of what they thought the Health South earnings should look like. And each year, Health South managed to make those until 1996, when the actual fraud we're going to talk about began. It became quite apparent to Aaron Beam, the CFO at the time, and his chief accountant, Bill Owen, who actually had at one point worked for their auditor, Ernest & Young. They didn't use Arthur Anderson. I know when we talked about Enron and uh, WorldCom, which I'll link those videos up here, they used uh, Arthur Anderson. But HealthSouth actually used Ernest & Young, one of the other big five accounting firms. And Bill Owen, who was the chief accountant, would later be one of the CFOs that turned state's evidence, used to work for Ernest & Young, so he kind of knew how they operated. And he and Aaron Beam together discovered, 1996, we're not going to make these Wall Street numbers. We are not going to make them. We're going to come in short, and there's nothing we can do. They couldn't use the just what I would call liberal accounting methods they had been using before. It was bad. So... They actually went to Richard Scrooge and told him, we're not going to make our numbers. We need to put out a statement saying we had a bad quarter, whatever you want to do, but we're not going to make these numbers. Richard Scrooge said, absolutely not. Richard Scrooge was the type of person that ran his country like a dictator, like a monarch. He was having none of that. He said, you're going to destroy us all. We all make good salaries. We have private jets. We are enjoying a rock star lifestyle here in the small city of Birmingham, Alabama, which was not true. They had two Gulfstream jets they were flying around in. They had you know, standing reservations at any restaurant in town. All of the brass at Hell South were living like rock stars, and they didn't want to give that up. So he started kind of dangling that over their head. In addition, Scrooge had gotten real accustomed to using the company's money to fund his own interests, such as playing in a rock and roll band called Proxy at company events and other places. And later on, when that didn't pan out, he went to Nashville and started his own uh, country band called Dallas County Line. He even had a uh, song called Honk, If You Love Honky Tonk. If you love to honky tonk.
Yeah, let's listen to that again. Not exactly boot scooting boogie, is it? But he used company money to fund these sort of things. And as a result, had got real accustomed to that lifestyle. So he kind of put the pressure on Aaron Beam and Bill Owen to make this work, whatever you have to do. So Bill Owen said, look, I know what Ernest Young's going to look for. They ignore any general ledger. And general ledger is just an entry of all your accounting, you know, transactions, whether it's debit or credit. They ignore any transaction under a certain amount of money. I know that threshold. And so what I can do is add in revenue to the books under that set amount and make our incoming money, our accounts receivable, look better and debit assets over here that don't really exist. So it's not going to actually affect our ongoing balance sheet. So what he was doing is adding money they never took in in small enough increments that Ernest and Young, their auditor, would not notice it. Over here, he was basically inventing assets they didn't have and debiting from those so it wouldn't affect their actual assets. So they put their heads together and decided this is what they were going to do. And it was at that point, according to Aaron Beam and Bill Owens and later on Weston Smith, another CFO, Richard Scrucci, said, if we ever get caught, I'm going to deny that this ever happened. I'm going to deny any knowledge of it. It's all going to be on y'all. Y'all do what y'all need to do to make us make our numbers. I'm going to deny any knowledge of it. So basically, according to Aaron Beam, he went home. Bill Owen went back to his office, essentially cooked the books, and they made their numbers in 1996. But if, And this went on from 1996 until it all started to fall apart in 2002. In Early 1997, uh, Aaron Beam retired, mostly because of the fraud. He just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And they had a succession of four different CFOs that took over, and they continued to do the same thing. A lot of them had been, most of them had been with HealthSouth their whole lives. They weren't their whole major career lives. They never hired a CFO outside of HealthSouth. They always promoted from within because, again, Scrooge had kind of fostered that atmosphere of we're a team and we do whatever it is to pull this wagon forward. So he kind of had set them up for keeping their mouth shut. And so that kind of went on until 2003. When if you look at the actual numbers of Health South, you'll see in the early days, they just, you know, kind of embellished it by about 50%. By the end of the fraud, it was like 4,000% that they had kind of hid losses and exaggerated gains. Two thousand two, due to the fact that a greater control was coming over Wall Street because you had the Tyco scandal, you had WorldCom, you had Enron, all of that really affected how government monitored Wall Street. So you had 
a brand new bill put into effect in 2002 called Surbanes-Oxley. And basically it was named after the two senators that wrote that sponsored the bill into law. Basically it said that chief financial officers had to sign off on their reports to Wall Street indicating that those numbers were accurate and true. This has not been the case anywhere previously on Wall Street. They could just publish their numbers, and if it passed their auditors, which Health South was passing their audits because the fraud was in small enough increments that nobody paid any attention to them. So by 2002, when this bill was signed into law, now you had CFOs that actually had to put their own name on it and become personally liable for it. They didn't like that. They knew that Richard Scrooge was going to deny knowledge. So what happened? You had a whistleblower in the person of Weston Smith, the current CFO, who basically called the SEC and tipped them off. It was no time that the FBI raided Help South uh, headquarters in Birmingham, took over all their books, and uncovered what amounted to be about... $4.6 billion in fraud, and it, at least part of that was a $2.7 billion exaggeration in profits, which helped them maintain their standing on Wall Street, their stock price, which is where everybody got their wealth from. Remember, like, same thing with Enron. They all got their wealth based on that stock price, their stock options. So, basically, February 6, 2003, FBI began that criminal investigation. At that point, Aaron Beam and some of the other CFOs came forward, turned state's evidence, told them everything they knew. They all put forth their own personal balance sheet showing how they had profited from stock options and stuff and basically had to pay all that back to the government or basically left with maybe a, a roof over their head and a car to drive. They all had to get new careers, but they agreed to turn state's evidence against Scrooge, who denied, did just what he said he would do, and denied any knowledge of it, and basically said that they were liars. So they agreed the FBI wanted Scrooge, so they cut all of these other CFOs kind of a deal. They didn't get no time. They all had to serve time. They all had to pay back all the money they had profited from the scandal, but they did testify against Scrooge. Now, in the interim, before his trial, Scrooge and his third wife decided that they were going to get the community, the Birmingham community, on their side. Religion's very important in Birmingham. It's also a majority African-American city. So Scrooge went out and joined a couple of African-American churches. He bought a local television network and started putting on his own version of Trinity Broadcasting. We'll take a look. Hello and welcome to Viewpoint. We've got a wonderful show for you today. We're some good friends. We've got a great scripture. We're going to be continuing. And started preaching around churches, getting the community on his side. You had pastors come out for him saying he was a good Christian man. But these CFOs had done all of this on their own. They signed the Sarbanes-Oxley thing. They did it all on their own. And that he was an innocent victim of unscrupulous employees. He knew nothing about it, even though he ran Health South with an iron 
Iron hand, but yet when it comes to the fraud, he knew nothing about it. That dog don't hunt. But he got the community on his side. And during the trial, federal prosecutors originally indicted Scrucio on 85 counts of fraud and intent to mislead investors. By the end of his trial in 2005, he had had that reduced down to 36 charges and was found not guilty on every single one of them. Why, you might ask? Because the trial took place in Birmingham. He had truly hypnotized and gotten on his side the churches of Birmingham and their demonstrations, the fact that all the jurors were religious people. He got acquitted. And when jurors were actually polled, they said that to them, it seemed that the CFOs were a bunch of liars, whereas Scrooge was a good Christian man that was telling the truth. And it seemed that the defense attorneys, Shushi's attorneys, during the trial tried to put forth that very thing. When they got the CFOs on the stand, they basically drilled them, brought out the fact some of them had, had extramarital affairs, things that ignore the fact that Scrooge himself had, was on his third wife, um, and basically did their job of getting their client off no matter what the truth was and made the CFOs out to be liars. The CFOs, depending on how long they had known about the fraud, were sentenced from anywhere to three months. Aaron Beam did three months in a federal minimum security prison up to 10 years for Weston Smith. So, yeah, they all, they all served their time. They all paid back their money. Scrooge went on to bigger and better crimes because a few years later he was indicted again by the federal government for supposedly bribing a former governor of Alabama by the, by the name of Don Siegelman. I won't go into that because I don't know what happened there, but he was convicted of that and ended up serving seven years for that crime, though he did nothing criminally for the Health South. However, he did end up paying $180 million in damages back to investors, thanks to local Birmingham attorney Doug Jones, who is now a senator from Alabama, Democratic senator from Alabama, filing a class action lawsuit against Mr. Scrooge. He was, of course, fired from Help South. Help South has now officially rebranded as Encompass Health and is still running their outpatient clinics across the country. So that's the story of Help South. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was a good primer for my conversation with former Help South CFO Aaron Beam, which will be coming up next time. Thanks again. If you want to support the channel, links are below. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Thanks so much, guys. Keto Comic.